Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Monday, January 22nd, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here, located in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, We'd greatly appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. 
Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org and or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get an email, comment, question from you, testimonial, we'll address it during the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the show for your feedback or input in the archives. And we'll take it from there. We'll keep moving forward. We greatly appreciate whenever anybody does those things because it makes it so much easier for us to live into our intention with this work. That intention is to be a service, and it's just so much easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you. For instance, the reading of The Way of Mastery or any of the other books we've shared or the processing that happens either live on the show or as a summary of what people have done between shows. And over the weekend, I was able to get caught up in uploading the first hour of these shows into the MindShiftersAcademy.org website specifically related to reading The Way of Mastery with commentary. So it's a little bit easier to access that body of work. And I've added the third page, which will have lessons shows related to lessons 7, 8, and 9. And again, this is just to try and keep the size of the page small enough that it loads effortlessly even on mobile devices. So how is it landing for you? How can we support you? What's on your mind? Um, I believe we finished lesson 7. Basically... We're at almost all of Lesson 7 on Friday with commentary. And um, I was thinking over the weekend that, you know, it would be a a good thing just to review what was Lesson 7 about. The, the heart of Lesson 7 is that piggybacking on to Lesson 6 where it says, you know, love heals all things and you are love, so... If you are this dynamic energy of creation expressing in form and awareness of that gives you vibrant, joyful experience of life moment to moment, then what is it that could ever block your awareness of your true nature as love? And the answer comes back very quickly it's fear and Michael Rice talks in his extensive series of workshops and seminars that he gives on a regular basis he'll talk about how often it says in the scriptures fear not fear not fear not and the reason is because that's the only thing that we create that obstructs from our view our true nature 
and the oddest part about it is we're using the power of creation itself, the power of mind energy given to each and every one of us. We're using it to create the experience of fear because fear doesn't exist anywhere but in the mind of the person that's created it. I love the little story about the little blade of grass seemingly tossed by an unseen wind casting the the smallest of perceivable shadows on a rock. And that is all you've given power to whenever you're afraid, whenever you generate fear, whenever you hesitate to heal or speak your truth. Right before that happens, you decided that fear was more powerful than love, than your true nature. I like the way Guy Finley talks about it. He says, in order for a human mind to generate fear, that human being must first buy into two false beliefs. The first false belief is that whatever person or situation in front of the person, whatever that is, is bigger than they are. And that's a false belief because the essence of life is that you are part of the one mind and you're this infinite ever-expanding being just like creation is infinite and ever-expanding. So no situation and no person that arises in front of you is bigger than that, than your true nature. The second false belief that a human being has to buy into in order to generate fear is that the current person or situation in front of them is either there to steal from them something they need, they absolutely need, or block them from getting something they absolutely need. And this is a false belief because all these spiritual teachings tell us you are whole and complete just as you are. Nothing of value can be taken from you and nothing of value can be added unto you. Now, yes, things can be taken, but the true value of your existence, your true nature, can't ever be chipped, dented, rusted, faded, or broken in any way. And so there is no danger. There is nothing that can be taken from you that's of any value. And so this is why the second belief that's necessary to generate fear is false, because you can't be hurt. You can't have something taken from you that you need to move forward to be the whole truth of what you are. And that's what Lesson 7 is trying to bring home to us in various ways. It is completely safe to be the truth of who you are in every moment with everyone regarding every situation. And 
the more we can wake up to that, the more we can uh, avail ourselves of that truth, the easier life gets because then we show up fully conscious of who we are. And when I show up fully conscious of who I am, um, one of the things that the way of mastery says on a regular basis is all power under heaven and earth has been given to us as humans in, in our mind energy, in our awareness of our true nature and connection to the creative source. So it is perfectly okay for me to see, feel, and be and step into the full awareness of my true nature in each moment. So, the shadow of fear the, the, the key dynamic in Lesson 7 is that for me anyway is that I growing up in, in my life, whether it was psychological training or religious training or anything else, I was never told that I'm the one that's creating the fear I experience. So it was quite the eye-opener for me to be ushered into the awareness that fear, just like every other emotion I experience, is an inside job. It is internally created and the liberation the liberty that I experience and feel the more I learn to actively work with any of the emotions that I generate and use them as just really good information for how to navigate through life, the better my life gets. I remember the part, one of the things we've talked about here before is um, 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And in the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, one of the things that it, the third commitment is, I commit to feeling my feelings all the way through to completion. I will locate them in my body, and then I will move, breathe, and vocalize them so they release all the way through. And I'm here to tell you that this is a wonderful start. Making that commitment, owning, feeling my emotions all the way through to completion, and that when they come, I locate where I'm feeling those sensations in my body and I give myself permission to move and breathe and vocalize them so they release all the way through. And 
I just had a session with somebody where we were talking about this very thing where there are people in her life where she doesn't feel safe. Um, overtly, actively expressing her emotions when they arise, especially if it's anything other than anger. And I was active in the session trying to get her to understand that there's a set of false assumptions that she's working with when she assumes it's not safe for her to, you know, keep functioning, but let the tears flow if sadness comes up, vocalize that she's sad instead of what most of us do is um, we use anger or rage to either distract from or numb out from um, pain, fear, or sadness. And uh, it's tricky because we have not been taught really well, and most of us in our culture, about how to become aware of feel all the way through, talk about, vocalize, find the, 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 the raw, beautiful, deep, sometimes very insightful information that is contained in our emotional state. Because we are so thoroughly trained and conditioned, to rely only on the intellectual, the conscious logical, and that part of the mind that generates the emotions and can feel them fully and learn to use them as a a guidance source, like a, a compass or a Geiger counter to help us figure out, okay, what's active in me right now? Where, where is this coming from in my past experience? Or what kind of false beliefs am I buying into right now to generate this fear or this pain or this sadness? And the more we give ourselves permission to be fully human and to fully express, communicate and live from the guidance which is our emotional state. And of course that that guidance system for a lot of us has been distorted and polluted and misinterpreted over the years because we've been taught that it's not safe or it's not smart or it's not strong to experience your emotions, which is one of the reasons I was thrilled to find this from the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And it's based on the work of the Hendricks Institute, and it's part of that book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, to find that the very third commitment is to feeling my feelings all the way through. These are corporate leaders, these are CEOs and CFOs that 
acknowledge the best way to be a conscious leader is to make these 15 commitments. And third on the list is to feel feelings fully. I suppose it's not a bad time to read through those 15 again. They talk about having a line, a horizontal line, and recognizing whenever they're living above the line or below the line. And above the line means they're living from these 15 commitments to conscious leadership. And on the printout that you can get about this, there's a paragraph introducing it. It says, conscious commitment begins with the process of positive change and relational and organizational resolution. We define commitment using its Latin origin, which means to gather one's energy and move it in a chosen direction. So using this definition, we view commitment as an energetic experience and not a moral issue. We invite you to embrace these 15 commitments as your entry gate into the by me, in quotes, by me life, free of victimhood. I'm living my life. This is happening by me. Following each commitment is the flip side or the lower living from under the, the line, which would be the this is happening to me. And this is the way people show up when they're living and or leading, either consciously or unconsciously, from the belief that life is happening to them. Fifteen commitments of conscious leadership are designed to help people step into the belief that this is happening by me, by my choice, my creation. My experience of my life is my own creation. Again, in complete agreement with Course in Miracles and Way of Mastery and most of what Dr. Michael Rice teaches, at least in my opinion. So the first commitment is, I commit to taking full responsibility for the circumstances of my life and my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. I commit to support others to take full responsibility for their lives. Now, that would be living above the line. That's the, that's the commitment for the by-me life. Anybody who's buying into the thought that life is happening to them, when it comes to this first commitment, they will commit to blaming others or blaming themselves for what's wrong in the world They'll commit to being a victim or a villain or a hero, and they'll take either more than 100% responsibility or less than 100% responsibility. They flip-flop. The second commitment to living above the line is I commit to growing in self-awareness. I commit to regarding every interaction as an opportunity to learn and I commit to curiosity as a path to rapid learning. 
the below the line commitment is the opposite of that. I've decided not to read these. I'll only read what's above the line. The third commitment I've already read, to commit to feeling my feelings all the way through to completion. They come, I locate them in my body, and then I move and breathe and vocalize them so they release all the way through. These are just energies moving. They carry good information for me. I'm going to receive the information. I'm going to allow the energies to be there and move through me. I'm going to soften, immerse, and allow. The fourth commitment to living above the line is I commit to saying what is true for me. I commit to being a person to whom others can express themselves with candor, wide open honesty. The fifth commitment is I commit to ending gossip by talking directly to people with whom I have an issue or concern and encouraging others to talk directly to people with whom they have an issue or concern. The sixth commitment is I commit to the masterful practice of integrity, including acknowledging all authentic feelings, expressing the unarguable truth, and keeping my agreements. The seventh commitment is I commit to living in appreciation, fully opening to both receiving and giving appreciation. The eighth commitment is, I commit to expressing my full magnificence and to supporting and inspiring others to fully express their creativity and to live in their zone of genius. Number nine, I commit to creating a life of play, improvisation, and laughter. I commit to seeing all of life unfold easefully and effortlessly. I commit to maximizing my energy by honoring rest, renewal, and rhythm. As I read these, I'm hoping, without me saying them, you can see the parallels with the way of mastery where it talks about being playful, being joyful, and if we haven't hit it yet, we're going to hit a lesson where it's titled The Way is Easy and Without Effort. The tenth commitment here is I commit to seeing that the opposite of my story is as true or truer than my original story. I recognize that I interpret the world around me and I give my stories their meaning. For me, this speaks directly to canceling my need to be right, canceling my goals for things to be different than they are. I commit to seeing that the opposite of my story is as true or perhaps even truer than my original story. And I recognize that the pictures that show up in my mind are not exactly what is actually happening in the world. I'm the one that give my stories meaning. The 11th commitment is I commit to being the source of my own security, control, and approval. 
this is a big chapter in the book. This is a powerful one. This is the idea that I can create a sense of being secure and being in control and having approval of myself and give approval to others. It isn't imposed on me from the outside. The twelfth commitment is I commit to experiencing that I have enough of everything. This includes time, money, love, energy, space, and resources, etc. And this is at the essence of this work. Nothing of value can be taken from you. Nothing of value can be added unto you. You are enough. You have enough. And it's not a zero-sum game. So the more you give of these things, the more there is. Thirteenth commitment here is, I commit to seeing all people and circumstances as allies that are perfectly suited to help me learn the most important things for my growth. This is just like what the Way of Mastery says. When you get up in the morning, your life, your very life that we now know is not ordinary, is the most perfect teaching school for you to be in. You don't need to travel to some mountain hideaway or go off to some teaching school or ashram in India. Right where you are, you can learn to see that all people and all circumstances are allies that are perfectly suited to help you learn the most important things for your growth. The 14th commitment is, I commit to creating win-for-all solutions. It's going to be a win for me. It's going to be a win for the other person. It's going to be a win for the organization. And win for the whole, whole of life. Whatever issue arises, whatever problem or concern or opportunities life gives me, I'm going to look for a solution that is win for all. The 15th commitment is I commit to being the resolution or solution that is needed, seeing what is missing in the world as an invitation to become whatever is required. And this reminds me of the way of mastery saying, oddly enough, once you start doing these practices of the keys to the kingdom, you end up being busier and busier. Life brings you more and more to do because it knows you're going to be acting from that aligned, centered, positive space. And it all begins with, in my opinion, the thing that got us started on this is, it begins with the recognition that fear is a false, internally generated emotional state. And rather than being the thing that tells you, um, oh, don't go down that dark alley, it's not safe, that's just common sense. The fear we're talking about here is the mentally, emotionally created 
redirected or you might say misdirected use of the creative energy of mind energy to generate the thought that the situation in front of me is bigger than me and to generate the false belief that it's here to take something of value from me or prevent me from getting something that I desperately need to be safe or to be whole and complete. So, our call in number is 563-999-3581. It is my hope that this has sparked something for someone. Area code 541, you're in the air. Hello, Dr. Tim. This is Celinda. Hello, Celinda. I just, hello. Uh, um, did you happen to mention that you could access those 15 principles possibly online or something, like a download well, or something? If you, if you just search for the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Yes. Or, or, or if you go to www.conscious.is, you might find it on that website. Okay, fine, because with our Community 2050 planning that we're doing, I would think that would be a great resource to, um, um, to bring up uh, for people who are interested. And you did say that it was a book. Also, right? Yes, yeah. It's it's this is this is the summary of the fifteen commitments. Okay, good. And they wrote and, now, they, and they wrote a book titled Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership," and the fifteen is a numeral. Okay, it's perfect. It's not spelled out so, by F. Great, thank you. And so that website that I might find it on is the conscious. Dot is. Dot no, is. conscious. Okay. Just, just the word conscious. Dot, dot is. Got it. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm on it. I really appreciate you offering that today. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember how much of that book I shared, but as I was reading it, I talked about it quite often, and I have shared this, the list of commitments before, and as I did a little bit of today, tried to describe how I see the parallels between these teachings. And also thank you for um, that and for the conscious commitment number three, because all of my life I've been highly sensitive and highly emotional and I would squelch it rather than seal them completely, either out of safety or out of seeing the discomfort in other people because I would be um, leaking all over the place, usually crying. And I can cry from joy as well as pain. Um, I can cry at a ballet or a horse race, watching the horses go out of the gate or anything like that. It's uh, John Sussel. March uh, well, during a parade. It's uh, it can be embarrassing at times. <laughs> you 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 mean to say you can generate thoughts of embarrassment when that happens? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I can feel feelings of embarrassment. Yeah, 
Not shame, though. I never felt shame about that. And so that maybe well, is... Well, clearly, what it, it is not is, embarrassing. It is that's, me. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it is me. Just... Well, let me explain that a little bit. When I refer to it causes, and I'm glad you caught me on that, when I'm referring to it as being embarrassed, I'm feeling, what I'm feeling inside of me is that I am being embarrassed, but my languaging was not correct, so thank you. Well, and what we're talking about is that you're generating a feeling of embarrassment. You're not being embarrassed. It's not happening to you from the outside. Right, right. This is a so in the thought pattern that if I pour, well, and it's if I it's a thought pattern, and if I pour enough energy into that thought pattern, I generate the emotion that goes with that thought pattern. It's like any other emotion. I can do it with anger. I can do it with fear. I can do it with sadness. I can do it with hurt. I can do it with confusion. But that's the core that's of our work is to observe that that's how this is unfolding in our lives. And that's why it's so empowering, because it gives us access to the actual process of creation of emotion. And that's why my languaging is so important. I think I see um, how more and more how, how I say something, not only for what it means to me, but for what it might mean to someone else, so how important it is to be as precise as possible, in alignment as possible with my language. What I'm trying to express. Well, and it's, or maybe it's, it's a Freudian slip, sir. <laughs> well, it, it it is both, right? It's not either or. And what Michael Rice likes to talk about is how powerful our thoughts and words are for creating our experience. So he he says, here's this concept of regulatory speech. Regulatory speech has a regulatory component and a revelatory component. It reveals to me what's going on in my unconscious. If I spend, oh, at least, um, even if I don't count my private caseload, um, five hours, uh, eight, 12 hours a week teaching this work about how we create our own emotions, and I'm never a victim and all that good stuff. And then something happens and I say, oh, this guy makes me so angry. My speech just revealed to me that there's a part of my mind that still believes people and things outside of me create my emotions. This is a good thing. This is my own chance to wake up to the fact that I still have a part of my mind believing falsely that it is being controlled by people and things outside of me and that my emotions are being created and therefore maintained by people and things outside of me. If I wake up to that, if I own that and say, oh, Look at what just look what I just said. That must mean there's a part of my mind that still believes people and things outside of me create my emotions. Now I have the opportunity to do two things. The first thing I can do right in the moment and I can correct the pattern of speech 
which will help program my beliefs within my mind. The second thing is I can make a commitment to myself to in the moment or in the near future pick up a reality management worksheet and dismantle that part of my mind that still falsely believes that someone or something outside of me controls it. And as I do those two things, I correct my speech, I start to reprogram myself to more accurately observe the mechanisms that are creating my emotions, and I do, whether it's Michael Rice's worksheet or Byron Katie's worksheet or Ho'oponopono or the Sedona Release Method or Dietrich Wolzak's worksheet, I start to dismantle the part of my mind that falsely believes it's being controlled from the outside. I get access to the traumas. I get access to the things I'm making this mean about myself and others, and I dismantle it. That is the ticket to me, what she just said, because you probably said it before, but I didn't pick it up, that our speech patterns are not only regulatory, but revelatory. And that was extremely helpful. And then the two things that we can do to correct that or to learn from that. Thank you. That's very helpful. You're welcome and deserving. That's why we're here. Anything else I can support you with today? No, that's an amazing support. Thanks. I'm good and complete. All right. All right. Blessings. I'll mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show. And I'll invite anybody else to raise a hand, make a comment ask a question, read a soliloquy, a favorite poem. Um, I think with the time that's left, I will refrain from reading more into the way of mastery. I will just highlight what I've said already. And I love story about the little blade of grass high in a mountain. I also like the fact that right there near the end of the lesson, in my book, there's a line that I've highlighted a number of times in different ways. That all of the words in this book, all of the teachings in the Christ Mind Pathway have as one intent and that is to reveal to you the place within you that is the presence of love that you seek. This is the wisdom that comes from the St. Francis of Assisi quote where he says what you are looking for is what is looking. When you say you want to find God, when you want to become more spiritual, when you want to find enlightenment, what is looking is what you're looking for. You are. There is this place within you 
is the love that you're looking for. It's the very presence of love that you seek. You live, move, and have your being within that presence of love, within that consciousness. And this is the message of the gurus. This is the message of, I don't know, probably eight or ten different deep spiritual traditions that have resonated with me. Um, some of the people listening here might um, might know the name Sadhguru, S-A-D-H-G-U-R-U, all one word. And he has a New York Times bestseller titled Inner Engineering, A Yogi's Guide to Joy. And I'm a couple hours into listening to that on Audible, and it's the same stuff. It's very same stuff as um, Michael Singer talks about as a yogi with the practice of ob- observation and w- awakening as we can awaken to our own true nature and the idea that that very awakening that very question is the most important question any of us will ever ask and answer. Who are you? What are you? And the idea is that you are nothing about all of the accoutrements, accumulations, possessions, behaviors from the past. You are not any of those things. You are consciousness. You are awareness. You are life itself expressing. You're part of the one mind. You are capable of accessing that awareness and enjoying the bliss that comes with that awareness in each new present moment. And then choosing to act from that. So I am as I as I point out on a regular basis, I find it to be far more beneficial for me to look for the similarities. And teaching, after teaching, after teaching, some of them go back several thousand years before Yeshua, teaching the same stuff, asking the same questions, supporting us in developing our own awareness of our true nature at deeper levels, waking up to the realization. I mean, there are big parts of the Sadhguru communication, you'd think, this guy's been studying Michael Rice. Michael Rice talks about how you don't see anything outside of you. Well, that's what gurus and yogis have been teaching for thousands of years. Your senses are these antennas, and they don't show you the outside world. They just allow you to pick up a certain level of 
energy, and then you make your best guess about what's going on in the outside world based on that energy, based on your interpretation of that energy. Well, what's your interpretation of that energy based on? Your life experiences, your past, which is why Michael Rice talks so much about how important it is to wake up to the fact that we're living from the past, especially when we're having a negative emotional state. It is not useful, not beneficial to keep assuming that we're seeing life accurately whenever we're in pain, fear, or sadness because that's not accurate. That's all the pain, all the fear, all the sadness. The best use for it in this work is to wake up and recognize, oh, something about my thought process right now is off the mark. I am somehow or another, rather than living life in the present moment, I'm living in the past, as Jethro Tull would say in its lyrics. And that's not as useful as being awake and aware in the present moment, awake to my true nature and the true nature as beings of brilliant and light of everyone I see. Life is unfolding, and we have the opportunity to awaken to how we are interpreting and responding to that unfolding. And as we awaken to that, we we get to recognize, oh, look at what I'm doing to create my experience of life in this moment. And when I like it, when it feels comfortable, when it feels safe and happy and joyful and blissful, I'm probably on the right track. When it's anything less than that, as Diedrich Wolzak would say, it's time to choose again. As the Course in Miracles would say, choose again. Recognize that in this moment where I'm feeling anything less than love, it means I've chosen for fear. And it's an opportunity in that moment when I wake up and realize that, that I can choose again. Only this time I can choose for love. I really like the the recognition, the realization from the way of mastery where it says when you wake up to this truth you'll you'll never again fear fear. It doesn't mean you won't have the experience of that fearful energy because you've got that thought pattern thoroughly well rehearsed in your mind. So you'll have the energies of fear moving through you. You'll have thoughts that arise that you pour your mind energy into that create that psychological, emotional experience. And yet, you won't let it drive the bus. You won't run from it blindly off into a minefield of either missed opportunities or raging and hurting and and damaging your relationships You'll take a breath, you'll recognize it as the information that it is for you to awaken and choose again. Every time there's an opportunity to choose again, you choose for love instead of fear, and your life experience increases exponentially.
And that's what we're being called to all through the way of mastery. It's certainly a big part of what we're called to in the Course in Miracles. And it's certainly what happens every time we open the the door to see something differently in every worksheet process where we choose to cancel the goals we have that we're experiencing as we hold that goal we're experiencing pain or fear or sadness. It's it can't be a useful thing for me to hold on to a goal if in that moment I'm experiencing pain or fear or sadness. It came up in another session recently. I had somebody who was just saying, Hey, I don't want to teach my children to cancel their goals because I'm afraid they're going to grow up and let people be abusive to them or especially if they have a goal for this person to treat them with respect and and it's such a difficult concept for the Western mind. These are really bright people who still come back and say, wait a minute, I don't want to cancel that goal because they're only thinking of it from that conscious, logical perspective. And they're thinking of it in that all or nothing, black or white, that once I cancel that goal, it's a done deal. Whereas in the worksheet process, we know that we cancel goals and then frame different goals and choose to set them in a very proactive way as a process for managing our stress. We don't look at it as an all-or-nothing process. We don't, we don't let the fear creep in to distort our use of these tools. And the idea is, if I'm in a relationship with somebody and I'm starting to feel anger, hurt, fear, deep sadness because they are not treating me with respect, they're not treating me in a way that's loving and connected, then what I want to do is recognize that the stronger that emotion is, the more intense the emotion is, the more narrow my field of view is, the more I'm getting a distorted picture of the truth of what's going on. And the best thing for me to do in that moment is get a wider field of view and a more accurate picture. So I I cancel the goal, not because it's a bad thing to want to be treated respectfully by the person, but because in the moment when I'm holding that goal and... I'm feeling the negative emotional state, that negative emotional state is distorting my perception. It's narrowing my field of view. It's giving me all kinds of trauma energies from the past that get woven into my perception, and my mind is trying to tell me that that's about this current moment, and it's never about the present moment. So, if I can step into the practice of canceling the goal and asking to be shown a different way to look at things, I open just a world of different possibilities. And I clarify my vision. I get much more clear about what is abusive in these patterns in relationship and what is nurturing and supportive and healing. And I'm far more likely to choose for love and healing in relationship 
and let relationships go when the other person can't meet me in that loving space. I'm, I'm far less likely to stay in an abusive relationship pattern if I learn to cancel the goals that are active when I'm feeling my negative emotional state. And this person I was referring to earlier was concerned that teaching her child to cancel goals about people being loving it would set her child up will be abusive to her. And it's the absolute opposite. My vision gets clarified. I am far more willing to walk away from people who can't be loving and, and send them loving energy from a safe perspective and distance than I am to stay in an abusive pattern with somebody. When I keep holding on to a goal, even though in that process I'm generating all of these negative emotions, that sets me up to be far more likely to stay in an abusive pattern, trying to get the other person to change, rather than acknowledging they're free to choose. They can choose to accept my loving invitation or to stay on the side of anger and fear and hurt and I don't have to stay there with them I can see it more clearly I can see my options more clearly and I can move forward so that's our offering I'd like to remind us all that we come from love we're made of this stuff we call love we actually are love and everything else is false and I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. Appreciate you. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Monday, January the 22nd, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to get dialed in. And today will be our day six of the Enlightenment uh, book from the Kaboris Manuscript. Uh, You can pick up all of the archives from this study on our website at whyagain.org. Or you can pick them up on Podbeam. And we're actually recording live on both Blog Talk and Podbean. So if you're able to access us through Podbean, you can ask questions there in the chat room or you can put up your hand. And so there's several ways that you can access this work. And we hope that you're putting the, the tools to work in your life and tell you all the time, you don't have to believe it, but just put the tools to work and you'll see that they do, they work. And you can have clearer vision like Dr. Tim was talking about. And you can set up what you really want instead of what you don't want. You know, the focus of our statements, our words, tells the universe what to uh, send us. And we've even taught Aria, you know, to um, change words. And when we say something that is what we don't want, then she even says, well, cancel that thought. So at five years old, she's got that. And... So, you know, she knows it works. And she said she's even 
doing that for the kids in her class, that they don't say cancel the thought, but if she hears them say something that she knows would be detrimental to them, then she says, well, cancel that thought. And so she does it for them. And we get her this afternoon, and we get to take our learning to another level because she always teaches us. And uh, so even though we're doing the study, if you have a question about anything, about the forgiveness work, about the process, about the enlightenment or whatever, um, press 1, 563-999-3581, and press 1. And that will lift a little hand, and we know that you want to talk and that you're not just listening. So Michael is with us. I am now going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted and honored that you're here and that we get to move to the next level of this amazing conversation about first century Aramaic forgiveness and all the corollary tools that go along with that process. Ginny and I had the... uh, the blessing of an opportunity this morning to move into a new level of holding a space for what the world calls death. You know, we shared with you over the last year or so that uh, Jeannie's dad passed and we were blessed to have him include us in his death. And we got to watch him literally experiencing the transition out of his body before he even left and the sweetness of that space and that experience and how though we would be delighted for him to still be here each time we look at each other and think of his passing it comes with a smile And it comes with a profound sense of gratitude for his life and for his presence in our world. And then shortly after that occurred, I got to go out and spend some time with my son, whose mother, my former wife, was passing. And it was late in the evening and I was spending the night at the hospital with her. And got to be there once again, blessed by being included, given permission by her to be in this space with her as she left her body behind. Another powerful space that has been teaching us. And I have a sister who uh, actually just turned 80 in January and has been through... COPD, so many physical challenges, and last year found out she had pancreatic cancer. And she's in Canada, and under the uh, Canadian assisted suicide laws, medically assisted suicide, she opted to put an end to her suffering. I think a very, very appropriate decision for her, choice for her. And so we got to... Unfortunately, we were a long ways away, so we only got to participate by phone. But And if you knew my sister, 
Oh, whenever she didn't like something that was going on, she had this stiff, stiff-necked stance and had no qualms whatsoever about telling people what she thought. <laughs> and right up to the last minute, <laughs> she was just uh, right there with the doctors telling them what she wanted and they'd better get moving. <laughs> and so we got to be with her and her whole immediate family and my extended family, my sister, my brother, her children. And once again, just be in that sweet space of support for her to leave. And leaves me touched with this space of awe and wonder at human life. And, you know, they talk about how we were born alone. You know, that's a big lie. We're never born alone. Mother's there. So we're never alone in our birth. And many talk about dying alone, which unfortunately does often happen but that she made a choice to have her whole family there with her, cooperating with and supporting her in her choice to end her suffering, which was pretty pretty severe. I mean, she wasn't far from the end anyway. And so it was, I think, a very appropriate decision for her to say, okay, I'm going to pull the plug. And she peacefully left her body about 10, 15 or so this morning. So I just invite you to join us in holding the space, and um, if there's any energy for you, in you, unresolved around death, unresolved around loss and people leaving, we'll hold the space for resolution, hold the space to bring those energetic patterns. You know, you look at the generations and generations and generations where death has visited in ways that were significantly traumatic and significantly insane that choosing a sane death was uh, my sister Alice's option. So I just invite you to join us in holding the space for her. As a child, she was very devout and as she was going through this, I went back to a picture I had of her as a young, young child. And her devotion, her sweetness. And just uh, held that space all the way through this event in her life that brought an end to her physical existence, but certainly not an end to her life. So. Tuning into Alice and saying goodbye on the physical level and inviting everyone to join in holding the space for the healing of this care and trauma that so many people carry around. Someone leaving their bodies behind. Jeannie, so, do you have anything to share? We sat with them for about a half an hour on the phone this morning as they went through the whole medical procedure and her daughter was there. One of Alice's favorite songs was Ave Maria. And so my niece was stroking her hair and playing her favorite song as she took her last breath and told the doctors what they should be doing. 
<laughs> right up to the last minute. Bless your heart, Alice. <laughs> so any thoughts for you, sweetie? Um, just that, you know, with her being as conscious as she was and making that choice, I think that even her, it gave a chuckle, you know, when she said, come on, let's get this done, um, that her family could yes, realize I want you know, out that of it, wasn't, <laughs> it was a conscious choice and that she was not the victim of the process. And so I think that will help give them some peace. I know that some of them still have some things that they need to work through, but uh, for me anyway, that was added, an added piece. Yeah, I felt like uh, we were both able, although we weren't physically present in the room, energetically we were very present. And there are a lot of unresolved family dynamics with two children and dad and just a lot of stuff going on but just to uh to hold the space for all of that to be processing i know was an uplift for the whole family system so so i open the space if that brings anything up for anyone or anyone has anything to share push one Let's talk about it. I know that the experience this morning has kind of left me in the space where I could just spend this whole hour with our show just in silence, just being in that space, breathing, being that act of space of love. And you can tell you are breathing. (laughs) Um, We do have two hands up. (sighs) Cool. Let's say hello. All right, the first one is Susan, 610, you're on the air. And just sitting with you, that you went through this, amazing. And I'm so glad you were open. You didn't think it was a bad thing for her to, to decide to take her own life at this point. No, I think it was a very, very yeah. appropriate decision for her. And it's was she an extrovert? <laughs> no, no, actually, she was kind of an introvert and uh, mm-hmm. someone who most of her life carried a kind of a chip on her shoulder, as I say in my early memory. I have this <clears throat> picture in my mind that came to me last night. We did a vigil last night, and I was communicating with different family members and sent out the invitation for everybody to just start that holding space of present love the actual definition of prayer for her mm-hmm. and uh, being able to support her and the whole family through it this was just a very mm-hmm. sweet sweet experience it's wonderful that she wanted you around for that and we got to talk to her a few nights ago and um uh, the last thing she said before she got off the phone was, I love you and goodbye. And so it was, you know, really a precious time. But it reminded me of, you know, like dad right before he passed. Of course, he, you know, went on his own, but uh, he had not, you know, rolled over or done any physical movement on his own in over a year. And he sat straight up in bed and his eyes got mm-hmm. huge. And, and he was actually, I believe, in the presence of God before he ever left his body. 
And they were going to bring him back. And and I told them, I said, no, don't. I said, why would you bring him back to a mind that isn't working the way he would like and to a body that doesn't cooperate? You know, he's at peace now. And it was kind of that same way with Alice. You know, she had struggled so much. And just in the past couple Mm -hmm. of weeks, her physical body had gone downhill Mm -hmm. tremendously. And it's like, you know, she was in pain and everything. And it's like, why stay? You know, she knew she was going to be passing soon anyway. Why continue in that agony when you had the choice, which, you know, a lot of places you don't, but up there they did. Right. And she had the choice to go. And, of course, they interviewed her several times to make sure this was really what she wanted to do. And they even asked her again this morning, are you sure? And uh, Mm -hmm. she was like, come on, get me out of here. You know, so. (laughs) That's wonderful. Yeah. You sound like you're still a little bit croupy. Oh, I'm much better. I'm really all better. This is just leftovers. <laughs> oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, it's just such a momentous thing. We are so expendable physically on one level. I mean, think about what God's creation is like. Uh, bugs come and go and birds die and, and animals come and go and it's all very fast and it's amazing and it's lavish and generous and what's the word? It's not only lavish, it's like just an incredible amount of abundance, physical abundance coming and going. And yet each individual life, you know, I took a a stink bug out last night because I didn't want to kill him, but I knew if I, I did squish him, we'd have an awful stink on our hands. So I put him out the window. And I was thinking, here's this life which to itself is so amazingly much of a treasure. And and yet maybe I made that up. I mean, I don't know. It's it just blows the mind hearing about your sister. It's just an amazing event, and I'm I'm amazed that you're on the radio show. But why not? I mean, what were you going to do instead? <laughs> I'm glad you're on. I'm glad you're telling us about it. It's just huge, and I love her. Um, her humor about it, and her maybe it wasn't humor, but her detachment from it. Let's go. I had an aunt who yeah, did the she, same thing. She, go ahead. Her her whole life, her whole life, she would get into this. You know, she didn't have any problems at all, letting you know what she thought about anything. And I have this visual of her from childhood of watching her like she would stiffen her neck and her back and rear up and say what she had to say and. She was doing it with the doctors today before she, you know, just minutes before mm-hmm. the uh, the silence came and the heartbeat stopped. She was just, yeah. it was Alice all the way. And, uh, wow. you know, one of the things I hold the space for, for the planet, for the earth, and all of us on it, I think you're very appropriate in the magnificence of life. And, you know, science is out there telling us, well, you know, you're just one little speck of clay on a speck of dirt somewhere in the cosmos that, mm-hmm. you know, it's been around for billions, and you're nothing, you're just cosmic dust. Uh, and when we tap into the presence of life, even with that stink bug, it is a miracle. And <clears throat> we've been fed all kinds of falsities 
about our human lives and the significance of it. And to me, recouping the truth of that and holding a space for people to move on consciously without trauma mm. is part of this work, is part of what we're here to hold the space for, for people who do choose to leave. That's so wonderful. I have an, um, I don't know what he used to me, an uncle, I guess, who has been on uh, no brain, no brain function much at all for many years, and he's using up all the fun family resources because they're keeping his body alive, and they'd all like to have him go, but they nobody does that. I, I wish there were per, some kind of permission to to hasten the death when it's already mentally spirit has gone already. We've been waiting for years for this uncle to go. And it, it seems it seems overly sentimental to maintain his body. It seems like a kind of selfishness. What are we avoiding? Feeling guilty? Anyway, that's a topic for another time, maybe. Who you are going to do this very real farewell you just did. Amazing. Well, and perhaps you're going to be the space that can open the family system to being able to let him go rather than holding on to a shell where he's not even present. I mean, that's to me... Well, they have. Michael, that's a mystery. He's hanging on. They've all let him go. They're taking care of his body because he seems to stay in his body. What do you do? Stop feeding him? Maybe that's what they should do. I don't know. Well, holding the space for the right resolution for him. Thank you. Were you and your sister close, Michael? In early childhood, we were, and in the later years, you know, when we moved, I moved to uh, the states, and she was in Canada. You know, our contact wasn't deep; it was more occasional. Although whenever I would be back in Canada, where there was always a Christmas event where everybody in the family got together and and spent Christmas Eve together, and uh, but I haven't been part of that in several years, so we were uh, yeah. uh, distantly close. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I know you have another caller. I'll be listening. All right, dear heart. Thank you. Appreciate you. Next one is five four one, I believe it's Celinda. Hi. Yes, it is. Susan and I. <laughs> Bless our hearts. <clears throat> um, we. I. I wanted to say that, as I, you might have felt before, if I happen to touch on the, on the um, subject, but I am grieving my brother's death, um, which is probably not too far off. And the Dr. Mm. Tim this morning offered that third commitment of 15 commitments to conscious leadership or of conscious leadership. And it was very, very helpful uh, because I could have used a little bit of permission to go ahead and feel 
my emotions all the way through to completion. So I thank mm. both you for what you shared today and um, what Dr. Tim shared today. In fact, I'm amazed at how often your two programs just dovetail with each other. So I wanted to thank you very much uh, for your graciousness and your commitment um, to living the Honored and life. delighted. And I hold the space that whatever thought disorders your perceptual system sees death through, that you can resolve those and be with the miracle of this presence of love as it exits the body and carries on as before, simply not in form. And all of the, I mean, literally generations and generations of generations of traumatic deaths and pained uh, loss and thoughts that just literally caused mine to, as with many events, to put a construct based in unresolved pain in the place of the actual event of someone passing. And that when we can dissolve that, I think we give the gift to that person of support for anything they need to resolve to be resolved prior to leaving. So I hold the space that you can offer that gift to your brother as he perhaps is getting ready to exit his form. Rather than being so wrapped up in my own pain. I think that's sweet. And also, um, as you well know, because I've talked about it before, my desire is to have a healing in my visual, uh, in my eyes, um, especially for cataracts. And as you were talking, I realized or I, I've been suspecting and I've been doing worksheets around several issues uh, hovering around this center of loss and safety and death, um, separation of any kind. Uh, and what I'm feeling is that there's a direct metaphysical connection between that and my cataracts because um, ever since I was a young woman, I have noticed that over my left eye specifically, there has been like a filter. And uh, it would be, I remember the first time I ever noticed it was I was at a a swimming pool uh, on a military base and I just happened to blink one eye And for some reason, I noticed that the other eye had a certain color to it. And then I blinked the other eye, and it had a different color. My right eye had kind of a bluish tint, you know, like a more clear, more uh, in in, uh, actuality of how what I was looking at, you know, with my visual apparatus. And then my left eye had like a sepia filter on it, even at 21. And I have, I really believe there's some connection metaphysically with that and loss and separation and a dark future and all of, you know, I, I've looked at Louise Hay and, and had some affirmation of, yeah, this would probably resonate for my energy system, what she says. And so uh, thank you. I just appreciate both shows this morning. 
and as I continue to work on my primary issues that I'm sure are multi-generational, multi-generational. I can see them in family lines on both sides, only yes. they reflect differently. One was Steve, holding the other space. Was yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Oftentimes, I can use a lot you of space. <laughs> Ryan, well, oftentimes, you know, it's looked at looking from the left side of the body is reflection of some kind of conflict with female energy, your own or someone else's, and it can be a, something to, uh, pardon the pun, look into and see if there's anything to that in terms of what needs to happen to clear up your visual acuity. And also, uh, you know, a while back we did a series on different emotions, and we spent a fair bit of time on grief. I don't know if you remember that show, but maybe Jeannie will uh, go ahead and put the links into the notes for today. Oh, that would be uh, If anybody wants to go back and listen to that, we went into that fairly intensively. Yes, especially if uh, Jeannie didn't mind putting the links to all of those emotions, because um, it's kind of hard to keep up with the archives, you know, like I'll write them down somewhere and then I will lose where I wrote, wrote them down. Oh, I want to go back and listen to this show. And uh, we, we do live over busy lives in our culture, even in the, in, even in the country. It's not, we do call it a factor. Do you have a smartphone? Oh, so, yeah, I'd appreciate that. Uh, do I have a smartphone? No, I have a um, an iPhone. Yeah, I have a um, uh, an iPhone. Okay, so that's that a smartphone. Help? There's a mm-hmm. there's a free program out there called Evernote, and I mean you can do What's a paid version of it as well. Evernote, E V E R N O T E. Okay. And. Instead of writing down something on a piece of paper and then the piece of paper getting lost, you can set up a file for anything and everything that you deal with, and one of them might be notes for links to look up, and you just put the note in Evernote, and it's always there to go back to if you, let's say, you know, the, the archive page on that. Uh, when you go to it, when you find it, uh, you can actually just push a, a link or a button up in the corner of the browser, and there's a little icon there that, bang, just shares it right to Evernote. You can just put it right in, and the whole page is right there connected to that set of notes. So that might be a, a way to uh, help to keep those key ideas together and organized. So so they're always yeah, yours. And, and your archive shows, I mean, your archive shows with all of the incredible notes and URLs that that um, Jeannie puts in. I just really appreciate that because I love to go back and look through. And it's also very serendipitous where I usually put those notes is like in the way of mastery or in something my um, in my reference material for um, the Aramaic gospel. And, and it's kind of serendipitous to run across them and say, oh, yes. Oh, yes, and go listen to them or whatever. Yeah. Right. Thank you for that. Sweet. All right. Thank you so much. I feel much better. When I got on the phone, I I could feel um, something well up, but by the time we finished talking, it was just like it was all smoothed over. And I thank you very much. 
It's just letting well, go, to me, the, go, go. Well, to me, the miracle of being able to, one, live a human life, live as the presence of love, and then to open to whatever is in us that needs to be embraced and held in that space of love. It, it's like, you know, for me, the definition of truth is truth is what is actual in the creation and most people are not open to truth. They're only open to their mind's constructs that they call truth. And all of those constructs being based in the past are all based in a fraud. But when we are able to drop, and to me this is the, the core of the power of the forgiveness process, is that when you understand what drives pained perception and you cancel the goal that is driving some form of um, compromised energy into awareness that when that goal is canceled and the perceptual construct collapses, the ability to just open the space to allow truth, actuality, to come into your field directly and process you, come into, you know, just like welcome it and whatever is out of line with truth when we're willing to breathe and be in that space, it just literally comes in and just reorganizes everything. So holding that space for you, dear heart. Oh, thank you. And you too take care. Uh, And um, I will be uh, on the show again, I'm sure. Thank you. Cool. Sweet. And we get the blessing of, when we finish the show, going to pick up Aria and having the afternoon with her and just being with that sweet presence of of love that is just uh, such a demonstration for us of who we really are as human beings. It was sweet the other day we were... One of the things she's doing, we're, we're teaching her to play dominoes. So, and she's getting good at it. In fact, we we didn't finish our game the other day, but the score sheet's still there, waiting to complete. And she is ahead of both of us. She's beating us at dominoes at five. And we have um, wooden stands for the dominoes, and we only have two of them. We have some others, but they've disappeared. So, Jeannie was using one of the stands, and Ari was using one, and I was just setting mine on the table. And about Halfway through the game, Arya looked over at me and it's like, Papa, you don't have a stand here. And she took her dominoes out of the stand and put them on the table and handed me her stand. And it's just like, whew. Doesn't get better than that. And Sean is with us in the chat room and he says he'll be in and out of the show. He's listening. Um, his wife is having back issues from a fusion she had done and said everything else is kind of getting backed up in his to-do list. So we hold the space for you and your wife, Sean, and that everything moves smoothly towards healing. And one of the things I would suggest, Sean, is that you go to Amazon and look for, let's see, how is it titled exactly? Healed by Sarno, I believe is the name of the DVD. There's a back surgeon named Dr. John Sarno. Oh, 60 years as a back surgeon. He passed recently, a couple of years ago, at somewhere in his mid-90s. And the last 30 years that he 
practiced, he did not use a scalpel. He taught people, and he has the best definition of back pain that I've ever heard of. And what he moved into teaching his people the last three decades, he practiced as a back surgeon but did no surgery, was that he would teach people that uh, their back pain was their unconscious rage. And I've had several people I've recommended that to who, in the, and I'm talking about people with debilitating, like I, I get up in the morning and I have to crawl to the bathroom because I can't stand up kind of back pain. One gentleman is actually a minister who's someone we've known for decades. And uh, he was laid up, had been laid up on several occasions with this debilitating back pain. And he was watching the video. And as he's watching it, he sent me a text. He said, Michael, you know, you told me this crap about pain being unconscious rage, and here I am writhing in my bed, but I'm watching the video you recommended. And he says, all of a sudden I have this thought that comes to my mind of this pain is just my unconscious rage. And he said, his quote, his text to me was, damn, my back pain is gone. I'm talking about the kind of stuff that had him crawling to the bathroom on a daily basis for months at a time over a period of years that he was dealing with this. So so I might suggest that you and your wife, I think it's a $6 video, <clears throat> best $6 you've ever sent. In fact, uh, I think it sells for 14 You might buy it so you can watch it more than once. And uh, just just watch it and breathe with it. And uh, it's just, you know, his presence and his knowing that, you know, this thing we call pain is physical. I mean, he's really clear. He's not woo-woo kind of, you know, this is caused by your mind or this is your mind or it's psychosomatic. He's really clear. This is physical pain. And he explains the mechanism of that physical pain. And that is that when the mind wants to avoid its rage, it's smart enough to put it into, let's say, you know, someone says, oh, well, I wrenched my back and so I had an injury. And now for the next 20 years, this person, you know, believes that their pain is about their injury and the mind has hidden its dissociated pain in that tissue. And that when one can embrace that, again, the dissolution, and he goes through, you know, in his piece shows, x-rays of spines that are just tragically messed up, and yet these people have no pain. And other people who have perfectly formed spines, and they live in excruciating pain. It's about the energy we engage in, and he explains the mechanism that <clears throat> this rage in the mind avoided, creates a tension in the muscles. He calls it TMS, tension mitosis syndrome, and that those muscles contract. And when those muscles contract, they cut off blood flow to the tissue. And in his thesis, at least, a 5% lack of oxygen to the tissue creates excruciating pain. And when I stop hiding that tension that's locked in the muscle, tension mitosis syndrome, 
I can embrace that tension, let it go, restore the oxygen flow to that tissue, and the physical pain goes away. So I'd suggest you might want to watch that and breathe with it and just see what uh, what opens for her. It's a powerful video, powerful piece of work that he's done. And, and sadly, as an MD, I mean, he was light years ahead of his time. And one of the tra- they actually demonstrate one of the traumas that he's gone through is the fact that he's I mean, in the video, there are several people, uh, like high-level celebrities that are part of the video. I say, you know, I had this excruciating back pain, and I ran at John Sarno, and now I play with my back pain. Now I recognize that I'm doing this to myself and that I can stop it. I mean, there's just several celebrities right up to and including a congressman who held hearings trying to get this into the awareness of the population, and yet, those who live in denial don't want to own and deal with what they're doing to themselves. So it becomes, you know, something that is going to be resolved by something physical because it's a physical problem. There is no such thing as a physical problem because if you understand the physics of it, there is no physical. You know, if we listen to Einstein, Einstein says this, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have here to refer called matter is energy, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. You don't have a material body. What you call material bodies an appearance in your mind, and yes, there are energetic patterns, and your brain interprets them in a certain way. But when you can let go of those interpretations and embrace the underlying trauma energy that reflects as the pain, then the pain tends to disappear. And the only pain that remains is that which we're unwilling to look at and deal with and process through individually and collectively. So I hope that serves and I hope that helps. And we have another call. Oh, great. Let's go for it. Down to about 20 minutes. I believe it's Dan 757. You're on the air. Hello there. Hey, welcome, breathing friend. How are you? Hey. <laughs> You've been doing your work. You're in it. How's it going today? Um, it's interesting. I mean, I just I wanted to say hi, Michael and Jeannie. Let let you know I'm thinking of you, lovingly with gratitude, and you know, listening to the whole show and just thinking of. Appreciate that uh, expression. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, you sent me a note recently that you are now at Worksheet 2000 as of a few days ago. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's a commitment. Well, I've been homesick the last – well, I told you about I was texting with you a little bit about this. Yes. Yep. Um, the last four Symptomatic. or five days. Yeah. And so I've been doing like 30 plus worksheets every day. Yesterday I did 60, which I've never, I've never done that many in a day and just kind of trying to root through this stuff that um, was coming up around the guy who's going to be my new boss. And it's just taking me into all these different directions. Awesome. 
Yeah. Well, and what most people call sick, I call symptomatic. And remember that when you think of yourself as an energy system, if you bring an energy into tissue that doesn't belong in tissue, then symptoms express. We live in a culture that says, well, if you've got symptoms, if I got a drug for you, we're going to anesthetize that. In other words, we're going to shut down that energy so you can lose awareness of it and pretend it's not there. And then recognizing that when you step into willingness and you're ready to face all of these patterns that go back generations upon generations and develop the skill and the ability to embrace those symptomatic energies as they move back out, the symptoms of healing are identical to the symptoms of disease. It's just what direction the energy is going in. And from everything that you'd shared with me as we texted back and forth, you are right on track in terms of bringing forward those old energetic dynamics and those old thought disorders and and clearing through them. So I don't call that sick at all. I call it symptomatic and uh, in willingness. That's That's the precious space where the healing process accelerates been kind of awesome actually um and you said some grief might come up and i think it's starting to a little bit and um <clears throat> how does how does an energetic pattern get trapped into tissue to begin with we stop breathing when you so hold the breath through Exactly. An energy comes to pass not to stay until we hold our breath. And when the breath is held, we close down what was called the veil of the temple. We shut down this, we we create this artificial barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious mind. And, you know, in the ancient teachings, when they said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain, they weren't talking about a purple curtain in the church. The veil of the temple is literally the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious mind. And so when there's something I don't want to deal with, close, tighten, lock, you know, right down to, you know, the, the tightness might be in your feet. The tightness might be in your calf muscles. It might be in your genitals. It might be in your, your your back, you know, wherever it is. It might be in your jaw. As you allow yourself to become aware of that and breathe into that tissue, then you get to process out what otherwise was in the tissue creating long-term degeneration. And this is how we eradicate degenerative disease. You notice the the suppressive mechanism of drugs you know, these people don't do very well with degenerative disease. Like, there's no resolution there. The only right. real resolution of degenerative disease is, am I willing to embrace and process through this energy that I and maybe a thousand generations before me held my breath in the presence of and never wanted to deal with? Am I willing to breathe into it and embrace this energy fully in the presence of love and process through it? Well, that kind of goes along with, uh, you know, the things we do to ourselves over and over again because it's kind of like, you know, if we find an energy unpleasant and uh, we want to avoid it, then we end up tensing up, clinging onto it, and as if to say, this is mine, I'll never let it go, which is right. the very thing Tension we don't, my don't want to syndrome. A la Sarno, tension mitosis syndrome. I create that tension. 
And with that tension, I hold my breath. I restrict the flow of energy through this tissue. I lock muscles, inhibit um, blood flow, cut off oxygen, and end up in pain. And pain is just my warning signal that I need to start looking inside as to what I'm holding on to here and am I willing to process through. And, and sometimes it might be right down to, you know, what appears to be or seems to be real physical trauma held in physical tissue. And as I'm willing to embrace that, soften into it, and allow that tissue to be re organize, literally break that word down, how do you redo your organic structure? You throw off what was interfering with its perfect function, you embrace the symptoms that went with the dysfunction, and you heal the tissue. So called youthing instead of aging. (laughs) So as you were speaking, I was thinking of like willingness as a state of tissue relaxation. Exactly and therefore full blood flow. Way back in my early practice, I was at a medical conference, this probably 37, 38 years ago, something like that, and it was on aging. And it was a group, a representative of a group uh, out of Cincinnati, Ohio, it was called the DeCourcy Clinic. And I heard this, statement once from the platform this MD was sharing the result of their research on aging and here's what the de Courcy Clinic said and this was burned into my brain I've always remembered actually Jeannie found the exact quote and it's slightly different from my memory but this goes back 40 years ago but basically what they said was time is not toxic Time has no effect on human tissue under any conditions. It is a belief in the effect of time by those who subscribe to such a belief that acts as a poison. And so if I buy into, oh, time means I deteriorate, it's just another way of hiding and holding my breath in the presence of those energies I didn't want to deal with. What we're inviting people to do is to strengthen themselves and step into the willingness to develop the faculty to literally reach into our own tissue structure, the cell, recapture the neuropeptide that created the chemistry of degeneration and be able to decode, process through in the presence of love that thought disorder that created the destructive chemistry in the cell. And the cell recoups because the cell knows exactly what it needs to do if we remove the interfering energy. So when we do forgiveness, you are knocking knocking this gunk off of the machinery of our bodies? Exactly. Literally, the energetic patterns in the cell that in the Aramaic would be called sin, remembering that sin is an archery term that simply means off the mark. If I put an energy into a cell that doesn't belong there, you know, the cell biologist, if we go to the opening words in the book of John in Aramaic, we're told that that book says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. But in Aramaic, it says, in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. So if I've put a piece of mind energy, which literally becomes chemistry in the cell, into a cell and create deterioration, am I willing to develop the skill and the ability to literally reach into my own cellular structure and be able to recapture and decode 
that original experience, which oftentimes will will not be uh, cognitive awareness, simply processing the disintegrative energy. But in many cases, the full-blown memory will come up, and, and when I'm willing to pick it up and process it, I can literally remove it from the cell, and the cell in an instant recuperates. Mm, okay. Time is not toxic. Age has got nothing to do with aging. <laughs> it is the belief in the effects of time by those who subscribe to such a belief that acts as a poison. Mind energy. Oh, time is toxic. I'm getting old. It must be time for me to deteriorate and become decrepit. Like, oh. But that's the game of the so, world. So if I hold it like a degenerative or a uh, disintegrative reality, an unpleasant reality, unconsciously, is that affecting every cell in my body, or is it just a certain aggregate of cells, or is it case by case? Well, it seems that we tend to hold different kinds of energies in different parts of the structure. That you know, uh, of two minutes ago, Celinda was talking about Louise Hay's book. There's a book out there by Louise Hay called You Can Heal Your Life. And what Louise did over her career was she started looking at what tends to be the mind energy that relates to different so-called physical symptoms. And she's come up with a pattern of, well, you know, if you've got shoulder pain, that tends to be something along the lines of, I'm carrying the world on my shoulders, bigger load than I need to be. And if it's my left shoulder, then I'm carrying a load related to either my own femininity or relationship with the female. And if it's in the right shoulder, then it tends to be, again, there's no absolute to it, tends to be something in the relationship relationship to conflict with a male or my own maleness, my own male energy. And and when I become cognitively aware of that, I'm empowered to go to another level of breathing into that tissue and and literally bringing that full-blown memory, which might be, you know, something that happened 10 generations ago. There's a a really powerful, and maybe Jean will put the notes in uh, on this. Uh, There's a young lady named Magda, who uh, did our codependence to interdependence intensive. And during that, we did a uh, the communication, responsibility communication practicum. And she was the, she and her partner were the uh, e- example of doing responsibility communication. And she was experiencing some heart difficulties, in fact, getting ready to go into the hospital for heart tests. And so her assignment in the intensive was to look into and to invite her ancestors to explain the conditions of their hearts. And she goes back into a full-blown memory and conversation with, if I remember correctly, it was her great-grandfather and how he came over from, again, if I remember correctly, I believe it was Lithuania and was supposed to be coming to America, the streets of gold. And the streets weren't so gold-paved, and he ended up uh, literally digging a hole in the ground, wherever it was that they ended up, digging a hole in the ground for his family and his 
rage and fear at the crops not coming in and how he wasn't going to be able to feed his family and how that turned into abuse of himself and of his wife and of his children. And, I mean, she had a full-blown cognitive conversation of undoing those thought disorders from her great-grandfather. Yeah, and as she power. developed, and and so this this is a woman who's been doing this work for the last twenty years or so, and I mean you you can just hear how she's reached a new level of being able to literally extract this genetic information and go into this conversation and clean up a whole raft of issues that had been stored in her own so-called physical heart. Yeah, the powerful yeah. listen. To, to listen to her go through that and basically accessing and cleaning up the thought disorders, the energetic patterns that create the tension mitosis syndrome that causes a restriction in the heart and opening that back up again by being able to embrace that literally as I see it. You know, if, if you listen to um, Bruce Lipton, he goes into this dynamic of what, what he's showing is that when we think of thought, and he's talking from a cell biologist's point of view, when we think of thought, that thought becomes a neuropeptide, a literal molecule in the structure, circulates around in the structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches, lands on the cell, inserts itself in the cell as what shows up as chemistry, and produces the result of that thought disorder in the tissue. And being able to, again, develop the skill and the ability to decode those energetic patterns and to be in the space of willingness to be able to breathe into those kinds of energetic patterns and to allow cognitive awareness to bring these things forward and to be able to breathe through them and let go of them. And and this is a skill, you know, when I look at my own life and my own process that's taken decades to develop and continues on a daily basis for me to hone and and where I get the blessing of space that opens and I get to go, oh, that's what that's about. And then being receptive yeah. to being shown, without having to figure it out with my mind, being receptive to be shown what, what happened, and all of a sudden, bingo, there's a full-blown memory. And holding, embracing that, in the presence of active love, dissolves it, tension mitosis syndrome, the tension is now removed from the cell, blood flow is restored, pain goes away. And the cell recovers. Yeah. The cell reorganizes itself according to its natural pattern rather than this interfering pattern of sin, remembering that sin means an energy that's off the mark. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's awesome. That is a It is amazing. awesome. Stuff. Pretty and, sweet. Pretty yeah. sweet. And especially as you, you know, there's a, you, you find yourself and each person kind of finds their own way there where in one of the most powerful ways I know is through the still point breathing, as you've noticed, that's been pretty impactful. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in the early phases, as you've experienced, it tends to be just all kinds of physiological sensation. What is this energy moving? I can't, I can't define any of it or figure any of it out. But as time unfolds, those energies that would have, in, in, in moving through tissue, 
would have been experienced as trauma, all of a sudden it becomes available as cognitive awareness, and I get to change my mind about it. Mm. And that's what the worksheet's designed to do, is to support that happening. Yeah. Well, I think it's working pretty well. Sweet. That's awesome, sir. I'm uh, I'm appreciative how of how willing you are and how committed, and uh, and how your commitment opens a space on an energetic level for, you know. There's a great line in the Course of Miracles that says, "Millions yet unborn will benefit from the work you do," and those mm-hmm. two thousand worksheets you're at, you know, the sixty worksheets you did yesterday that opens a space of willingness for the whole planet to move into deeper and deeper sensibilities and being able to decode those energies rather than just be blasted unconscious by them and being lost in the generational pain. Well, I told you how, um, you know, it's just uncanny. Like I'm, I'm doing this work on the guy I'm going to go work for, which brings up, you know, issues related to my father and that sort of dynamic, father-son type dynamic, mentor guidance, right. childhood, and, you know, wanting someone to love me, care about me, teach me, all that kind of thing. That branches out into all sorts of different relationships. And as I'm doing this work a few days ago, these people start to, to contact me and call me mm-hmm. and show <laughs> up to, re- to resonate more stuff. You know what I mean? It's like unmistakable. You rang? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. amazing how people start to come out of the work. You know, we do the um, book club uh, study of why is this happening to me again out of London, England, and the woman who uh, started the club. She actually has no idea how the book Why Is This Happening to Me Again arrived in her mailbox. She doesn't remember ordering it. She doesn't know where it came from. But it showed up in her mailbox, and she started reading it and doing worksheets, and like it was just a a mega shift. And um, she had been separated from her father in the very early years of her life, like, you know, under 10. And literally at the point where we did a worksheet in the book club around parental energy, literally the next day, her father, who she hadn't heard from, I don't remember exactly, but in something like four decades, contacted her. And then at another level of work about a month later, her father, again, who she has only had now one or two phone contacts with, shows up at her door. Yes. And she hasn't seen or heard from in four decades. So, yeah, that's it's amazing. And, you know, again, a, a wonderful principle from The Course in Miracles, when you're healed, you're never healed alone. Each one of us that opens these spaces, you know, don't be too surprised if Dad's going to be calling you one of these days and talking about something that you've just processed through in a worksheet. Yeah. So so with resonance, is there is physical distance has no bearing on on the effect? There's nothing we know of in the physical world that can stop the high energy wave that leaves the mind when we think a thought. Okay. No, if I if I have a radio wave, you know, it passes through the walls 
uh, you know, here I am in this room and the, the walls are transparent to a radio wave, but if I put a, a lining of an eighth of an inch of lead around the walls, I don't get a radio wave in here, but I can get an X-ray, which is a finer energy, and by passing through the walls, there is no, it is such a fine energy that there's no interaction with the atomic structure of the wood or the, the nails or what have you in, in my walls, and so I get the radio wave on this side. An X-ray won't pass through it because there is that energetic interference on the level of mind energy, which is the subtlest energy of all. There is nothing in the material world that can stop it. Time or uh, space mean nothing. It reaches anywhere and everywhere. That's awesome. Okay. I'm glad to know that. Yeah, sweet. Well, the show has just whispered in my ear that we're complete. It's going to cut us off in a moment. So I'm going to say thanks for leading this conversation with your questions and your work and, you know, the uh, the refined process that you're doing, that you're sharing with our whole uh, audience, that they get to build the brain cells out of the work you're doing. So thank you for that input. You're appreciated. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and blessings. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.